Hey guys, it's Nathan and this is episode number 9 of the Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Well, welcome to the show, guys. So good to have you back. How has your week been? I hope you're going well. Thank you for all your support of the show, and thank you for your feedback on the last uh, episode. It's always great to hear from you. It's great to see you sharing everything online, on Facebook. Special shout-out to some people that uh, have been really supportive of the show. Uh, Simon Taylor, Edward Terrell, Patsy Davies, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate it, and uh, it helps to grow the show and get new listeners every week. A little bit different this week. Uh, this is a live show, so coming to you from Liberia in West Africa, um, sitting here with my friend and my guide to Liberia, Simon Crow. Hello, Simon Crow. Hi. <laughs> so, Simon, I'll describe Simon for you. Simon is about 50 years old. He's got long hair, a big beard. He's looking at me with a huge smile, and he's an incredibly infectious personality, and Simon has led me here to Liberia. I met him a few months ago at a coaching intensive that we did. And Simon talked about how he'd been to Liberia two times. He'd absolutely loved it. He'd fallen in love with the people. It had been a a huge adventure for him. He got a whole load out of it that he hadn't expected that had grown him as a leader, that had grown him as a coach, and ultimately had, had led him to start a whole bunch of projects here in Liberia. So... I'm so excited to have you on the show, so thanks for sitting down with me. It's great to be here. Describe the setting we're in now, because we're coming to the end of our trip in Liberia, and just describe what you can hear or what the people can hear through the microphone right now and what what we're seeing while we talk. Great. Well, we're sitting between a beautiful lagoon, a freshwater lagoon, and the ocean front just behind us um, in what what's described as an eco-lodge. So everything here, all the accommodation is built out of local resources using local building skills, all the furniture and the roof above us is all made of uh, leaves and, and bamboo um, and it's a really beautiful place to be Com- you know contrasting with some of the places we've been over the last 10 days it's a real sanctuary great place to sort of sit and unwind and, and pick the journey of the last week yeah it's a lovely surprise isn't it because mm-hmm. we've been um, we've been spending time with a lot of villagers that are uh, just full of poverty, lack of clean water, lack of education. Uh, and then you see this side of Liberia, which is a, a beautiful eco-lodge that's been developed. And you were telling me they opened it up to the public on the weekend. Yeah, so it's open from Thursday to Sunday. People come up from Monrovia to kind of unwind from the stress of the week down in that quite a hectic city. And they lie by the, you know, lie by the pool and, and sit by the ocean and just spend some time relaxing in this really beautiful... So we're in a, in a kind of forest... Um, in, a, in a wooden built building, um, all out of natural materials, and it's just it's just beautiful. Yeah, and there's a whole behind you. There's a huge amount of swimming pools. They've they've built all these pools. They've got a lazy river, and then it floats right down to the ocean. Just a, a stunning, stunning view. That well, we're the the at. owner of the place <laughs> built it himself, and he he has a knack for building pools. I, I came in November, and he was actually building the lazy river, and he told me that he knows how to build pools, and so that's what he does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And why Liberia for you? So you came here originally in 2014. Mm. Did you expect to fall in love with Liberia? No. Uh, if I were to write a list of, of countries in the world that I'd want to visit, Liberia probably would have been pretty close to the bottom. And that's really because of the reputation that Liberia has. You know, over the last 20 years or so, there's been um, 
there was the, the there was the civil war that was horribly bloodthirsty and really divisive, and it really destroyed the country. And of course, um, Ebola came along shortly. Well, actually, it, it hit the country while I was here in 2014. And even the word Liberia, you know, when I hear that, when I heard that word before coming here, it, it would trigger, you know, all, the, all that kind of imprint of, around what this country potentially means. It's about rape and maiming people and child soldiers and blood diamonds and all the reasons you wouldn't want to come to a country. But when I was offered the opportunity to come here, it felt like an adventure. I have a really curious personality. And I wanted to come and see what it was like to be in a country which had experienced that level of civil unrest, civil war. Um, I wanted to see how it was recovering from that, how the people were, how they were responding. So I was really, really curious. In fact, when I came here the first time, I gave a talk. Um, we ran an event for 400 teachers, and I, I gave a talk um, about curiosity and the reasons that I was here. And I wanted to find out what it was like for people to be living in a country, which is, I heard at the time, something like the third poorest country in the world and the second most corrupt and yet a country with the first female prime minister in Africa. So I wanted to come and find out what that would be like, what, it would, what, what experience I would have, that kind of curious adventurer. Um, and I wanted to come and learn about myself. And I knew that I'd be coming with some other coaches, some other leaders, and I was curious to see how I would fit into that environment, you know, what I could learn from the people that we came with. Um, and yet I got a... I got an experience I could never have anticipated. And to find myself here with you guys in 2017, engaged in a project that we'll talk about, I'm sure, but building a school in a village that we visited yesterday, Duen Town, who embrace us like, you know, like family. It's very, very moving. Um, a young girl, Mickey, who we'll also talk about, I'm sure, who I've been supporting through school the last three years or so she's just turned 18 and is registered to vote and I've helped helped her to start a business so that she can be more um, more self-reliant and paying for her school fees you know none of none of this was on the on the horizon um, so where are you before you come here in the first yeah. instance who, who's Simon Crow at that point Simon Crow how was old a, were you? yeah I was how old was I did you say I was what how long, how long was it ago? Three years? I was just 49 or so. I'm 52 now, nearly. Um, I was been, I'd been coaching for maybe seven or eight years. I had a, a business which had kept me and my family for the last seven years. Um, but I was getting to a point in that business where I was feeling quite stuck. Um, you know, we know that you know, the expression, what got you here won't get you there. Well, I was a living example of that, I think. I really didn't know how to make the changes that I wanted to make. So I, if you like, I could see the, the, the beautiful village on the other side of the, of the ravine, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, and all of my efforts to get there weren't, uh, weren't bearing fruit. And so I wanted to find out more about myself as a person. I wanted to grow as a leader. I knew I was a great leader, I knew I had the potential to lead, but I didn't really have anybody to lead, particularly. Um, and I really wanted to, to experience what it was like to be on a mission. Um, you know, often coaching and coaching clients, you're really buying into other people's missions, and that's wonderful, it's wonderful to see that, that it, have that experience. But to have my own mission, 
it's kind of that feeling of like it's all right for somebody else but not for me yeah how could i ever do something like that yeah sure god you know to look at look at people i mean to, to if i were to hold a mirror up to myself now and think i'm sitting here in liberia with a group of leaders which i have brought here with me based on a, a, a passionate vision a dream that i had no idea how to realize it was far too big for me in a sense you know that i had this vision i just didn't know how to take the steps forward and to now be here at the end of that 10-day trip where everybody who's, who's been on this trip has experienced you know phenomenal growth insights learnings learnt stuff about themselves learnt stuff about the world connected with humans in different ways and, under, and understanding humanity in different ways and bringing all that richness you know back to their coaching to their leadership um, it's just it's just incredible to think that that we've done it you know just you asked me that it. question right now I'm just having that realization it's shit it's happened mm. yeah and two and a half years ago I was someone who didn't really feel that I was up to the level of the people that, that I was visiting uh, mm. Liberia with because Liberia you're right I mean you step off the plane here it's hot the airport terminal is an old room on the side of the tarmac and you're right there is still a lot of violence in places there's rape there's poverty so there, a lot of those things that you were fearful of do exist sure of course they do so how does the country move you so much what is it about the country that um, that grabs your heart I think fundamentally it's the warmth of the people here um, there's nothing like a Liberian greeting you know it's it's so warm normally accompanied with singing and dancing and just meeting a person one-to-one -one, you know walking down the street you shake someone's hand and you're immediately into a big smile and a conversation um, I really love that experience that people are just open um, the warmth just feeling that instant human connection with somebody um, and I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who comes here more regularly than I did, who actually lived here. And I said, you know, I mean, is this something that I'm not seeing? Is this just because I'm just seeing the kind of the, the veneer? Of, yeah, you're getting presented with the nice parts. That's right. And she said, no, this is, this is what it's like. You know, you'll just keep meeting people like this. So that, to me, is, is on a personal level. You know, you mentioned stepping off the plane. What I loved, the biggest, the, the, the biggest thrill for me was to step off the plane with the, you know, with the rest, rest of the team. And just to smell, there's a particular smell here. It, it's really earthy. And again, it just connected with all those sort of neural synapses and just, just connected me straight mm. back into being in Liberia. When, people, when you come to Liberia, people always say, welcome home, whether you've been here before or not. Um, and there is that really wonderful feeling of it. it's just a very comfortable place to be in terms of the, of the kind of human interaction, the connection with people. It's a bit of a cliche that... Um you know, for Western people or white people, they come to Africa to make a difference or to make a change, but end up leaving with Africa teaching them so much. It, it, Why is that a cliche? Why is that? Because it's true, right? Yeah, well, well because people come. So, you know, we, we come with the, with the in, good intention to, to serve, to find opportunities to support people. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's great because we're sharing our gifts and our, and our knowledge and our experience, but it's also a slightly arrogant stance that you come to a place with the belief that you've got something that the people you're meeting don't have and what you're going to do is you're going to give them the gift of that. Yeah, and it's true to some, to, to some extent. 
but what I believe when you come to a place like Liberia, how you can really experience its full kind of magnificence and joy is to meet people as equals. You know, we had that, that wonderful meeting in Duen Town yesterday, which is the village where we're going to be building the school. We had a, you know, we had a village meeting. Um, it was great under the, you know, under the canopy in the middle of the, of the jungle, basically, in this really wonderful community. And one of the community leaders, they speak in such rich parables and, you know, and, and stories, but describe themselves as being sick. And when a man is sick and you wash them, you only have to wash their back because the sick person can wash their front. But when they're dead, you have to wash the whole of the person. And why that's, that's a great story for me is that because there's, there's that... It's about that, it's about that uh, agreement, that commitment to share. It's a partnership. You know, you're washing the person's back, but they're taking responsibility for, for washing their front. But the thing that struck me was... I don't see these people as sick. So that was where, if you like, the metaphor finished for me. I'm not here because they're sick and they need somebody to wash them. I come here because I want to experience their, their joy. I want to experience their resourcefulness. I want to experience their, their love, their community, their capacity to self-organise. You know, they beat Ebola in this country because the, the people of these communities know how to organise themselves. And once they'd understood it was real and got some information that they needed about Ebola... They, you know, they self-organised and found ways of, of beating it. It took a lot longer to leave the cities than it did to leave these uh, rural communities. And so, you know, the, the cliche of "I've come to share something with you," "I've come to teach you something," is, 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 is I guess, because we have something, we have access to education that, that the people in Liberia perhaps don't have. So, yes, we do have some things that we can share, but it's not about um, a, 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 an imbalance in that relationship. You know, it's not like a parent-child relationship. If you can meet as, as adult to adult, parent to parent, there is so much depth to learn. I mean, we've had, we've had circles every evening where we've kind of debriefed on our experiences of the day. And they're such rich debriefs because they're all about our own learning. It's not that we sat down and what did you teach the people of Liberia today? It's what did the people of Liberia teach you today? How have you changed as a result of being here? What have you learnt about leadership? What have you learnt about connection, about community? Um, you know, those rich, rich, rich lessons that I'm so excited to, to share with, with people. That's why I keep coming back. And that's why I intend to come back in the future, bring people, more people, so they can experience that. Yeah, be inspired to engage and in, get engaged in projects where they can support and help people. But to come... Well, that's a good point. I'll just pause you there sure. because um, if you're sitting in New Zealand uh, or London or Japan or Canada or America, you're or seeing on TV... Yeah, or the UK, London. You're seeing pictures of Africa on the TV. You're seeing people ask for money. You hear the old story about people building schools in Africa. But it's there's a sense of overwhelm. There's a sense of... Um, distrust with a lot of charities how do I know my dollar a day is going to where you say it's going to why is this story different how can you make it real for people at home and get across uh, the reality here and maybe some of the positive things not just what we're normally swamped with which is just starving children and pictures of a desperate a desperate place it's a, it's a great question um, well, the first thing that pops into my mind is a workshop that we did um, with the More Than Me Academy. 
um, an organisation set up by Katie, Katie Myler, a wonderful, wonderful example of education, one of the most inspiring schools I've been to in the world, not just in Liberia. And at the end of the workshop, one of the, one of the members of her team came up to us and said, I think they actually spoke to you and said, you know, what's wonderful about this is you're not just sending aid, you're actually bringing your skills here, you're actually sharing those gifts that you have. And that was really important. So, you know, your question was about well, what, what are some of the, the more positive aspects of Liberia that people can... Uh, could experience well for the first of all I mean we're here with a with a guy called Robbie who's only just 20 he's, he's documenting this thing so making a film and he came to Africa for the first time with the impression that it was quite desert-like in places you know the large open spaces like the savannah or whatever Liberia's got I don't know 60% of Africa's rainforest it's incredibly green it's incredibly beautiful I mean just just palms and and you know, green, rich vegetation in every direction. You know, you get these beautiful views from the top of some, you know, the hilltops where you can just see for miles this great unspoilt vegetation. That's really beautiful. Um, you know, going into villages where, as, you, as, we, as we roll up in our, you know, in our vehicle and open the side door, just swamped by smiling Opening faces. the door became a, a yeah, metaphor, didn't right. it? Yeah, it was yeah. that opening the door moment. Because if you imagine, like I'll paint the picture that we'll continue to paint the picture that Simon's painting is, we would pull into a village of maybe 300 people, and from a few hundred meters out, you can hear the singing and the clapping of this village welcoming you. And as we pulled in, the whole village just encases the vehicle with loud clapping, and it's quite intimidating, isn't it? It's loud, and it's you think right. And there's that moment where we all turn to each other in the van, look at each other, and go, "Are you ready?" Are we ready to do this? Because you've got to build up your energy. And then we'd slide the van door open and then it was all on. You know, the five of us would completely separate into different parts of the village. Some would go and dance with children. Some would go and talk to the elders. Other Others were, um, were doing things with the girls. Some were looking after the little babies and giving them water and food. And that was it. It was all on. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, and that is a really magical experience to have just that love almost like drawn out of you you know you, you can't be in a bad mood you know however tired you might be because you didn't sleep particularly well the night before or you might you know, if you're not a morning person if you're not a morning person <laughs> as we discover nathan is not um you open the That's door the and it cure. kind of draws you out yeah mm. and, and every day for yeah. us and these and the you know the kids come running up and they want to hold your hand and you've got you know it's a blessing that you have ten fingers. So that's ten children's hands you can hold. Yeah. And, it, you know, I've seen pictures uh, of, of people in Africa before I came here. And I imagine it was always a bit contrived when you see people hugging little brown babies, you know. And yet, if you actually come here and experience, the, the kid's just really fascinated by and excited and curious to come and connect in some way. You know, they, they're rubbing the hairs on your arms because, you know, a lot of African people don't have the same kind of body hair that we have. You know, a lot of the women are having their hair stroked because they've got long hair. You know, they just, they'll find a mole and just examine it on your on your arm, sort of thing. Because obviously, with their skins, they don't they don't notice the, the moles in the same way that we do. And you know, that's I don't I don't know if that's um, I don't know if that's serving in any particular way. But in terms of, of of connecting with yourself, you know, finding that that part in your own heart which perhaps you keep locked away. You know, the fear of connection, the fear of, of really committing to, uh, to love. Um, it's, just, it's just an incredible experience. 
Well, you, you use the contrast of the tube in London. Mm. So take me through the differences between the two. OK, so I live in London and I catch the underground in, you know, into, into the centre of town sometime. Um, and you're squeezed onto uh, you know, a metal tube underground with thousands of people you don't know and don't really have a connection with. Everybody's got their head. Not fascinated on. by your body hair. Not fascinated by your body hair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And really, you know, what you want to do is to create a little bubble, a little isolation bubble, so you can get through that, that journey and, and come out at the other end and, and perhaps connect with the people. Yeah, an isolation bubble is a good phrase. Yeah, yeah, and connect with the people in your office that you you know you need to know so you know superficially. Um, so contrast that with the Liberia experience. So you you step out into a community, a group of people who rely on one another for their survival, really. You know, without, without the connection amongst the people within the community, um, they don't eat, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't have the, the support network they need. You know, when you walk into a village, you see kids who are running around. They're, they're not being followed by their mother. You know, each child with their mother running behind trying to stop little Johnny from falling over or touching something that she's dangerous. They're all just in there, and you know, and who, whichever adult happens to be around, if a child falls over and you know bangs their, their bangs their knee or whatever, then whichever adult is around is the one that steps in. You know, and we noticed that we, you know, we would sit um, talking to people, and we'd have kids sitting on our knees or whatever, you know, because we were the nearest human being, the nearest opportunity for contact. Um, and I don't have any more personal knowledge of those people than I do the people on the tube but it's just the recognition that that we are all humans if you know that's what people have said we are all one we are all one and if we can remember that and have that you know be reminded of that when we connect with these people it's a it's a gift that stays with you you know it becomes it comes becomes something that you embody and I I don't know if I answered your question but it's, uh, I'm, just, I'm just now in, in that space of, of connecting with people. My head's just have gone into those villages and I'm feeling it viscerally you know, in my heart. It's, uh, it brings, me, brings quite a lot of emotion up for me. I noticed that feeling, like for me, initially getting out, of the, getting out of the van, the opening of the door in the village, my isolation bubble is very present for me. And although I'm happy to do five minutes of having kids and people swamp you and shake your hands and touch you after about five minutes I'm sort of feeling that's enough now I want I want my personal space back but as the the time has gone on and we're doing this every day and you realize okay I can either resist this or I'm going to be here for five hours with this village and just having people swamp me and ask me questions and want me to play with them and talk to them and share I can either stay not that I'm doing it intentionally, but I can keep feeling this isolation bubble mm. or I can lean into it and try and connect. And that's what I noticed the most throughout the week, just that isolation bubble just kept opening and opening and mm. opening mm. to the point where you realise, this is beautiful, this doesn't hurt at all. Mm. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? If I go and play with these kids for five hours and have no personal space <laughs> at all, is that going to hurt me in some way? Mm. Absolutely mm. not, it's the mm. opposite. Mm. So for me, that feeling of just being cracked open and allowed to just be free just to connect immediately with strangers that all they want to do is play with you and learn from you and just and it's been, have fun it's with It's been you. beautiful to watch. You know, I remember that, that day when you, when you led the football training. 
<laughs> you know, they had that group of boys running around the, the hut that, that uh, some of the water bearers were doing a demonstration around using a water filter and we were, you know, we were playing with the kids around the outside and you were running around with them and and, and I loved that, you know, I loved the fact that, that you were just so, I don't know, you were just sharing so warmly with these kids and then almost training them on and then how to do it for themselves, you know, and you appointed one of the leaders, Timothy I think his name was, and you had a really nice connection with him and you were kind of passing on like passing the baton to him about how he could then lead some of the smaller boys in them. My parents as avid soccer players and yeah. coaches will be laughing to hear that I was leading a soccer training as they have no soccer skills whatsoever. But that's the um, the naughty boy in me. Like it was quite a serious event. These people were being introduced to filtered water for the first time in their lives. So we're travelling with another group who uh, work to introduce water filters into these villages. So we walked with the villagers down to a tiny little dirty swamp, which is where they got their drinking water, their cleaning water, bought uh, one of the filtration systems down to the swamp and showed them purified water for the first time in their lives. These people had ever seen clear water. And the shock and the dismay on their faces was amazing. Mm. It was quite a serious event, but I got bored, you know, with that kind of thing. So I would have played with the kids, and the kids were having a lot of fun. So the boy, the boys came up to me and they said, we want to do football training. I said, what? I said, we want to do football training. Liberia is obsessed with football. Football before everything else. Everybody knows Messi and uh, everybody's wearing football jerseys. So I led these boys on a football training. So we went running around the hut a couple of times and did squats and then went running again and did push-ups. And after about 10 minutes, I had 30 kids doing football training with me for about half an hour. And then I taught one of the guys, Simon mentioned Timothy, to, to lead the training. And then he led it for another 10 or 15 minutes and did a couple of circuits. And Simon just leaned over to me and goes, this is leadership. And I don't feel like a leader. I don't think of myself as a leader. But when you said that to me, I thought, wow, yeah. For me, the first time I dropped down my guard, leaned in, these kids said they wanted football training, I launched into doing football training, and then taught someone else how to lead football training, and then that was it. Hopefully those kids will maybe go on to do that, you know, forever. And um, Timothy, I gave him my necklace and, and just said to him, look, you're a great kid, you're a natural leader, and take this necklace as a reminder of that, and, you know, lead your family. I remember also towards the end you gave him a bottle of water and then showed him how to, to almost like serve each kid mm. a sip, uh, which was lovely because obviously kids in Liberia, if you give them a bottle of water, you know, they, they kind of very greedily try to suck it down, but to, to have shown Timothy how to kind of you know, ration it out yeah. was really great. And, yeah, and him stepping up as a leader, you know, he was slightly taller than the other boys and, and it was just, again, it's magical to see. It was magical to watch you and, and how you opened up but, you know, to see, the, I guess, the legacy, the impact that you left. And I just wanted to say something about the, the, the stepping out of the, the van moment and the, and the, if you like, being swarmed by the local people. It never felt like, like a needy swamping. It's not, I mean, I've been to India and places where you get swamped by people who are all trying to demand things from you. I'm talking about being surrounded by people who just want to smother you in joy and love and sing and celebrate that you're there and, and just be part of the, the excitement of having visitors to the village. 
you know, having having people that they can instantly identify as different because obviously we're, you know, our skin colour. But just just that curiosity trigger and that desire to be with new things, to experience it, to, to that that was that. It's to me, it's incredibly joyful. Yeah, and it can be exhausting, but. Um, it's not exhausting because of the energy which is exhausting. It's exhausting because it's just quite overwhelming. You know, that much love can be quite a lot to take if you're from somewhere like, and it doesn't like up. London. No, mm. yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't go. That's right. The energy doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not done with the kind of the initial exuberance of meeting someone for the first time. It's mm. there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And as you walk around the village and every new house, you know, new, every new sort of house that you walk by, you know, the people may come out and shake your hand and. You know, shout your name and your African name at you or whatever. It's just, it's a really unique and special experience. I wasn't happy with my African name. <laughs> Which one? You've got several. Yeah, I got five. But <laughs> my first one was um, was Sumo. And the village elder stood up in front of the entire village and to award me with my African name, which I was so excited about. And he said, "You are the smallest man in the group, so we have given you the name that represents." A small man, sumo. That was disappointing, Simon. Can I reject an African name? <laughs> yeah, of course. That was from the that was from the Pele people. Well, the, the language that they speak in Bong County is Pele, and that was that was the name they gave you. But I think you were happier with the name that you got in Bassa. Um, Fukui. Fukui. Yeah, Fukui. And what does that mean? Fukui means patience. It means patience. So. Um, that's very appropriate for me. I mean, you guys know me. I've, I've got too much on the go, burning myself out all the time, taking on a hundred different things. And um, so to have the guys stand up in this village yesterday and award me the name Fukui to say that if you're patient, uh, you'll be focused. If you're patient, you'll be rewarded. Uh, that one I treated much more than small man. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 yeah. When I think of you, I don't think. Simply a small man, maybe small patient man. That is so kind, (laughs) so kind. Um, But I just want to say that that the naming is is part of the ceremony of of welcoming people into their group. They also, um, we also experience welcoming ceremonies where we're asked to to bite the kola nut, which represents unity. This throwing rice, you know, that was terrifying as well. Sometimes quite hard Mm. at you as as part of the, you know, just again, just a celebration of joy. Um, often they, they present these things on a circular plate and the circular plate um, represents unity and the whole community and so there's a, there's a lot of ritual um, and I think it's something that's really beautiful and, and they give you the name you know they kind of stand in front of you and, and feel your energy I guess and, and give you a name which they feel is appropriate and it's great it's something to, to live into something to live into so my, the name that, that I was given um, is Garman Gar um, which I personally love because it means that's all I could hear in the village yesterday. Yeah. Big shout! It was Garman Gar well, everywhere we went. <laughs> well, yeah, and Garman Gar is. I guess it's much easier for them to remember than Simon or or Solomon or yeah. Simone. Simone or the, the other versions of my name that got called. But to to have a name in their language, Garman Gar, which means man be man. Um, and what I love about that name is that it 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 really talks about integrity, which is one of my values. Um, this might be a good time to start talking about the school, perhaps, because I came back um, in November last year. Actually, the story goes the story goes further back in the past, but I'll, I'll try and kind of 
make it short, but I've been involved or committed to building a, sco a school within the Duentown community for the last couple of years. And it all came about from a man that I met at a workshop that we ran in 2014, a man called Emmanuel Ragbo, who is uh, a really wonderful man, really committed to education and the development of his people. And I once asked him, we were sort of chatting um, on Facebook, and I once asked him what his big dream was. I said, what's your really, really biggest dream? And he said, I want to build a school. And I said to him, okay, so that's what we're going to do. I've no idea how to do that. I don't have any money. I don't have the resources or, or even the, the knowledge of the process that we need to go through. But you and I are committing to creating a school for the people of Duen Town. And if there was any doubt of the commitment of the village for the need of that school, this isn't just about educating their children. This is about, I guess, transforming the whole community. So we had this town hall meeting yesterday with the village elders and the, you know, the, the families, the children standing around the edges, and we talked about what, this, what the school would mean for, uh, for, the, for the town, for the community. So the school's designed to educate some of the poorest ki kids in Liberia. Many of them are orphans, many of them have no, um, yeah, no parents, no one who feeds them. Just, uh, a lot of people were orphaned after Ebola. Oh, yeah, yeah and, and they just get absorbed into the community. Um, and the school is designed to, to educate them. And one of, the, one of the guys in the village said yesterday that without education, we are vagabonds. Remember that moment? I love you know, their the use of, of a slightly archaic English. It's always very beautiful to it hear. Is. Without education, we are vagabonds. Um, and the, the school represents their opportunity to create more of a future for them, for their children, their children's children. And we talked about that 20-year vision, didn't we? That, you know, when, when if we return in 20 years' time to see a thriving school, a school that provides education for the children but also the adults, so we can start supporting the, the community around adult learning and adult literacy. Well, and that's the challenge here is the support. So one thing that we've that's been a theme has been this big excitement enthusiasm because there's a lot of passion in the community and then you see a, an amazing school that's got uh, sustainability and is working beautifully and then we heard a story last night about another school that's struggling and that is receiving was said that it was going to be supported by the Ministry of Education if someone built it mm. um, a woman in France spent five years raising $30,000 to build the school and then the funding has never arrived from the Ministry of Education so that school's relying on volunteer teachers that get paid nothing mm. who are struggling, they don't have a curriculum so when you say the 20 year vision is to develop a thriving school what does that mean? What are the say four or five elements mm. that create a thriving school well, and that was that was really the, the kind of basis of the conversation with the community yesterday so if you talk about teachers um so you imagine i don't know in in one of the countries that we come from you open a school in new zealand or something um and you think right i need some teachers so i'll go to the pool of trained teachers and i'll do some interviews and choose great people to work in my organization in liberia um most people are Uneducated, they don't, they haven't completed high school. A lot of them, and those who have uh, completed 
high school have maybe got a C certificate to, to teach. Um, they're not paid, they're not very motivated often, and so what you don't really have a pool of people to choose from. So part of the process of building a school is also thinking about how we're going to develop uh, a pool of, of teachers. So how can we use the building of a school to encourage the education and training and perhaps how do we provide the training so when the school opens we've got people who are going to be you know, competent, committed um, educators because that's part of our vision is, is to have this school not just open but thriving, we said, you know, delivering great education. So the first one is training good teachers. So the first one's training good teachers. Then there's, there's something about sustainability. So that's who's going to pay those teachers? Who's going to pay for the upkeep of the school? Um, oftentimes the people of the community don't have enough money to pay um, for their children to go to school. But in terms of sustainability, it, it can be really necessary that the community are, are actually supporting the school. So there's that conversation. That and that was, I'd say that's a big piece of what we've seen with the common theme with the schools that are working. We've mm. been to um, Many five, six yeah. schools yeah. in a week. Yeah. Um, the schools that are working compared to the ones that aren't working. If you put sustainability at the heart of the school, mm. and to me that comes straight from the build, and you've mentioned it. If you go and build a school and then leave it, they don't feel ownership of that school. There's mm. no sustainability. If you enrol the local people to build it, teach them the skills of building the school, not only will they have ownership of the school, but they will have learnt those skills to build. Mm. So it actually starts right from the start, getting the community enrolment, having the conversations you've been having, and then getting the community to build the school, mm. and then fund it yeah. and buy into it. Yeah. And, that, and that's the only way, because you know, there is, there's, a, there's poverty here, so theft happens. So, but if you've got the community committed to the school, it's their school, they're going to make sure that no one's stealing from that, you know, stealing the building materials. So, you know, that, that's the importance of this. But also, you know, part of our vision is seeing people learning building skills in the construction of the school so that then they've got skills that they can use after the building of the school. We've been lucky enough to have been gifted 50 acres by the community, so we've got a big agricultural project as well. So that's... That's about um, the sustainability. It's about training. It's about, I guess, you know, if we're, if we're naming the five key elements, the, the, the third one is about, you know, buy-in and commitment from the community. Um, you said it. You know, can you imagine just kind of dropping a school into a community to say, there you go, guys. Um, it, it would be, be disempowering, but also you just wouldn't get that level of commitment. And well, it comes back to the original point of people in New Zealand or the UK just seeing a school project, throwing 30 bucks at it. Um, and then having that school just gone and dumped in a community and left there, yeah. and you go back five years later and it's all overgrown and not being used. Well, you, you know, you've had the experience of, of coming here. You know, how's that? How's that been for you? How, you know, if you were to contribute to this school building program, rather than sending thirty bucks from you know from your bank account in New Zealand or whatever, what, what, you know, how has it impacted you in that? First of all, I ask the questions. <laughs> Um, I, I am a coach, you know. <laughs> you can't help yourself, no. Um, yeah, well, I think it's it's finding the right people. So when you're listed, school education is number one for me, and I think number one for you, just in Liberia in particular, but I'm sure in all of Africa. It all starts with education of the young people, education of the women. And if you're, you need to buy into the person that's leading that project. And we met another amazing woman, Katie, um, who runs the More Than Me Academy. She's got six or seven schools built already in Liberia, and she wants to build 30 in the next few years. 
Katie's an amazing woman, and she was the 2014 Time Woman of the Year um, for her work with Ebola in Liberia. But Katie gets it, and if you go on the More Than Me website, morethanme.org, you'll see a video there, and you'll see Katie talking about all of these issues. So I would have no hesitation in putting money into that project because I know it's going straight into a sustainable education program where I think there's a lot of well-meaning people, a lot of well-meaning people, but they're not here. Mm-hmm. Whereas Katie spends half a year here. Um, in your school, Simon, I'm sure you're going to be doing some fundraising for your school. Um, and you're going to be coming here. You, you love Liberia and you're going to be coming back and forth. And the way you speak and your commitment to making the school sustainable and having good uh, people with high integrity uh, running the project, I would have no hesitation sending money to you because I know that's going into a sustainable project. And the money is going to be a one-off in a way, just to help the build, and then it's going to sustain itself. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really important points. I mean, somebody offered to to tie the portion of their salary to me before I came here towards the school project, and I said, "Well, that's you know, it's incredibly generous of you, but no, not for not for now, because until I can tell you exactly what that money is going to be spent on." You know, I can give you a breakdown and say that you know that those dollars you're sending me will be used for this and this. Then I don't want to. I don't want to get engaged in that. It doesn't feel doesn't feel fair. Um, it doesn't feel that I'm giving the clarity that people really want to, to. To well, it's important for people to have when they're when they're sharing their resources. The fourth point about about uh, you know the key elements here, I think, is about getting the commitment of the children. Um, education for them. Um, you know, as adults, we can see the benefit. We can see the, the future impact of education. Perhaps children don't see that. But also, there's a really interesting dynamic here that, that if that if children are involved in in actually working, so responsible for bringing a portion of the income into the family, if you send them to school, that portion of the income is lost. So, how do you make sure that the child comes to school regularly? How do you make sure that the child, the, the children is the child themselves is committed to learning and how do you make sure that the, ch- the parents are committed to sending their child to school and again that comes down to this whole process we've talked about up front about, about gaining the support and the commitment of the whole community Well and that's where you, you've got a, uh, uh, a head start in Liberia you know, you're starting from scratch in a lot of places but one place you have a head start over <laughs> even our countries is this community mm. you know, mm. with um, the click of a finger, the whole community is brought together and put in a hut to discuss community issues. And so it's very easy to reach the whole community, isn't it? So in terms of getting buy-in, you're educating the community because these are new things. And there's a, an important point, I think, that we learned about Liberia. After, might have been after World War Two or something like that, to, the Americans had a program where they would pay you to come to training or educational programs Uh, so that went on for a long time so there's a culture now in Liberia that if you are coming to a training or being educated you expect to be paid for it and compensated for it so you kind of have to understand that to realize you have to reverse that and start to educate people that no that's not a sustainable model you're going to have to pay for education and the way you do that I think as well is creating an economy around the school so again we've seen some great projects where now that the school's built you have one place that runs the cement and creates the cement for developing new parts of the school there's another person up the road that's selling the stationary supplies Uh, now there's room to employ cleaners 
teachers. And so you can create a little economy around the school and teach people that this is how you're going to make extra money from the school and send your children to school. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And of course, we talked about the agricultural project, how that will feed the people of the community. It'll provide you know, food for the children going to school, but also there's a surplus to sell. And that's about sustainability also. And I think the fifth element really is about... Um, so if we, if we train or, or teach the, the primary children, it's, well, what happens to them next? So you have to think about um, where the children go after they've got their primary education. So we've got to think about, well, where does the secondary education come from? Uh, you know, where, you know where do, how do we deliver that? So to me, this school is going to have to cover primary and secondary education, or we're going to have to find another project to connect with so that you know, we can offer a, 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 a path of progression because there's nothing worse than you know giving someone an education up until the, you know the age of ten or twelve, and then say right, you're on your own again now. And, and many of these people will have aspirations to go to university, so we need to think about well, what's the step then? How do we make sure there's funding for that? There's opportunities for people to, to continue their education, because what we're really looking to do, yeah, is trans- transform a community. But people, as they get educated, then have the capacity to transform the country in which they live. And that's the, the big vision. Um, so that, that to me would be a really important aspect. Is, is So you can give the child a sense of what the progression is through their learning and education. Mm. Anything else you want to say about the school project or education in general in Liberia? Um, the only thing that comes up to, for me is, is just introducing Mickey, the, the young young woman she's just turned 18 who I've been supporting through school for the last two or three years we had some really lovely conversations while I've been here Um, I've known her for three or four years and we speak on the phone most weeks but our conversations are quite short so I've just spent some time with her we sat in the hotel lobby just sharing stories about our lives you know this is a a young woman who is is pretty well educated she's doing well at school she's in uh, 11th grade at the moment but she doesn't have any world knowledge in the sense that her home doesn't have a television. So she doesn't... Electricity. Or, well, she doesn't have current. That's why it doesn't have a television. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's like an even more fundamental reason for not having a TV. So she doesn't get all of these different messages from around the world, um, which is really interesting. So she's, she's got an academic knowledge and she's got a, a deep knowledge of her own community and her own people, but she doesn't perhaps have a, a cultural knowledge of the, of the world, that kind of contextual stuff. Then um, it was reminded of that really wonderful story or that, that little conversation we had when she said to me, "Dad, is it true that that, that, <laughs> that people, large people in America, they, they have a machine that sucks out the grease out of their body?" You know, she obviously meant fat, and she was talking about liposuction. <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." And she just, she was like, I just told her the most crazy story in the world that people actually go to a place to have the fat sucked out of their body. When the the pe- problem is they're eating too much. Yes, yeah, they, they're, they're, yeah, they have ac- you know, excess, access to excess. You so know? they just eat it all, yeah, and as opposed to struggling <laughs> to find a meal a day. Yeah, and you know the people. She said, so when they've had the, the fat sucked out of their body, are they now all thin? You know, and I said, well, no, you know, they, they have to have their perhaps their their, you know, their tummy tuck or whatever. And it was like, what, you know, what what planet are you from where people actually go and have fat removed from their body, you know? surgery to, to kind of tighten the skin 
Um, and I thought, wow, you know, we don't even see these things any longer. Mm. Um, that was a it was a beautiful moment. It, I think she's probably telling all of her village right now that there are people in the, you know machines in America. But I think that's what we talk about when we say how much Africa teaches us. Mm. You learn. It's so hard to for me personally. It's hard to walk a mile on a man's shoes. I struggle to see life through other people's eyes. But it's little stories like that where you, you just you can't help but realize, wow, this person has a completely different perspective on life than I do. Mm. There was a really, another really wonderful moment when we invited her to have dinner with us and she'd asked me what we paid to, to eat in the hotel and I told her it was about $15 for a meal. And we invited her to join us and she said no. Because out of principle, the idea of spending $15 on one meal was just crazy. Insanity. She could live for a week, two weeks off $15. Mm. So even though I was offering to pay, she just, it was just you know, against what she, she stood for. She didn't want to be, you know, just didn't want to engage in spending that kind of money when she could use it to live for a week. Um, that was another really beautiful insight. But we were talking about education and why I brought Mickey up, apart from the fact that she's somebody who's incredibly important to me here. You know, one of the key reasons that I feel so connected to this place is that she is absolutely committed to becoming a medical doctor. And when I met her in 2014... She came up to me after a workshop that I'd run with her. We, we spoke in this workshop about dreams. And she told me in that workshop that she wanted to be a medical doctor. She was probably 14 at the time. And after the workshop, she came up to me and said, she said, I know my dream is going to come true because you're holding it for me. And I can't tell that story without feeling really emotional. So I made a commitment in that moment that I would help her through school. And I talked to her while she was while we were, you know, together over the last couple of days. And I was I was asking her about things that she did in her free time. I asked her if she you know what she did in the evenings. Well, after sort of six thirty in the evening in Liberia, it goes dark. There's no street lighting, there's no as we said, there's no current in her house, so she doesn't sit in a lit room at home. So they don't go out. They sit and they talk and they share. And she just, she just is. And she said to me, I don't want any distractions. I don't want to have a boyfriend or go out to nightclubs. I want to study because I want to become a medical doctor. And I was aware that but by sending Mickey money each month um, for her education was great because it supports her, but also I didn't want to develop this relationship of dependency. So a few months ago, we talked about her starting a business. And we had quite a lot of conversation about it because I didn't want to send money um, which got wasted because I could have just sent her the money. I wanted to send her money for a business that I felt confident, or we both felt confident she could set up and run successfully. Um, so she decided she was going to send second-hand clothes. So I sent her about $125, and with that she bought a bale of second-hand clothes. You can buy second-hand clothes here in, in large bales from certain uh, charity uh, outlets. And when we, when, we, when we came into the village um, a couple of days ago and we met with her and we picked her up and we were driving down the street, she pointed to her, to her market store and she said, that's mine, I bought that for $100. So she went from wheeling these second-hand clothes around in a wheelbarrow that she's now bought and had made a, a booth, she called it, like a little market store on a high street. And it's wonderful. So she's, she bought one bale 
and she and she kept some profit from that and with that she bought two bales and she's now building a, a business a business which is supporting her and she was able to contribute 125 dollars to her own, edu own education this last semester which was again just a huge moment in our relationship but just to see this young woman empowering herself and of course you know i'm thinking this is just brilliant this is just brilliant i said well maybe you know you're going to start focusing on your business maybe you're a great businesswoman maybe this is something that you want to do in your future no she said, my goal is to become a medical doctor. She didn't want to be distracted from that. And again, that to me shows just, just how important education is. She sees that as her route out of the, you know, the current life that she lives. And she did say beautifully that when I'm old, she will look after me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she really looks up to you. I mean, she, the, the, the money that you've given her, she just honours that so much. It's not wasted at all. No, it's not. I mean, she said to me the other day, she said, um, I am what I am because of you, um, which was beautiful to hear. But, of course, I then turned that round and I said, no, you're what you are because of you. Mm. You know, that's something that's a really important message. So I never want to disempower her by supporting her. Um, she's a, a beautiful young woman capable, confident, well she's growing in confidence, it's wonderful to see that, that flowering um, and you asked me you know, what was I like before I came here that was never on my horizon I, you know, I had struggled giving money to charity it didn't really mean anything to me I had that, that was one of, sort of the, the guilty secrets I didn't really like giving money to charity it never felt very good but to, um, this isn't charity this is about supporting a, a young person that I have a deep connection with um, in, you know, in, in, in becoming what she wants to become in self-empowering as I say herself but, that, but you know in empowering herself to, to, to create what she wants and that's just the best metaphor for coaching you know it's just a beautiful experience to have um, that I can you know I bring into my own coaching relationships that it's about you know really holding the dream you know believing in the person yeah, giving them the support that they need, but really the responsibility always has to stay with the person who's doing the transformation. Yeah, but making the space to hold that dream for them when oh. they don't have the ability to hold it. Yeah, it hasn't been the week hasn't been easy. It's been inspiring, but it hasn't always been easy. There's been challenges, and um, yeah, I can think of a few for me personally. Uh, just the conflict, you know, not understanding. Sometimes, well, we had a day where there was one of the community leaders came with us and it was clear that he was not the most generous of people. And that sort of shook me a little bit and I thought, well, how much of this is going on? And I just was struggling to know where to put my money, mm. one, and where, you know, of course you want to give money when you're here, and, but you also want to make sure it goes to the right people. So do I not give money at all because I'm not sure or do you just give money and hope that some of it filters down to someone that needs it most mm. and for me that's been a struggle internal conflict mm. 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 I don't have a question well I'll, I'll make a comment on, on, the, on the person you're referring to he was a commissioner of a county um, and it, I felt arrogance from him he was elected by the by the president to be the commissioner for a particular c a county and I, it was 
it was the opposite of what I felt, for example, when we went to Duen Town, where the, where the leaders of that community are people who are very, very deeply rooted within that community. Um, even Emmanuel, who I mentioned, who's not from that community, is an adopted you know, member of that community. He, he, he's very much an, integrated into that community. And I didn't get that sense with the commissioner. Um, and at the end of this, this was a really kind of deep leadership insight for me at the end of our day together you know he invited himself along to the to the trip that we had to these beautiful waterfalls um, was we gave him on on uh, guidance from our guide we gave him a tip um, in inverted commas we gave him fifty dollars and I remember giving him the money not really questioning it I guess I was caught up in the euphoria of what we were doing it was a really beautiful place we'd had a great day out together um, and I remember, in, well, as we reflected as a, in our group debrief in the evening, that we'd effectively given him a bribe for something that, you know, that he should either do out of the goodness of his heart or, n or not do, or just do, you know, but not certainly not be expecting some money for it. And we had the realisation that actually, if I had been conscious, if I'd been really connected with my leadership, I would have looked him in the eye and said, I'm really happy to give you this money with the expectation is that you're going to share this money with your community. Um, because to me, you know, he, because what we've seen in the other, in the other communities that, that if you're part of the community, you don't, don't take that money for yourself. It seems an opportunity to, to share and to, and to you know, bring up the whole community. And I was talking to our guide about it last night, actually, because I wanted to check in with her and, and just to make sure that we didn't find ourselves in that position again. And again, she had the same, the same insight, the same realisation. She said, we shouldn't have done it. What we should have done, because we also bought them some rice and some food, and, and the process that we went through, the tradition is that, that in front of the commissioner's home, we made a presentation of the rice and food to the commissioner on, part of, uh, on behalf of the community, in front of the community. And if I had my time again, you know, I love these le lessons in leadership, if I, could, if I could have that time again, that's when I would have given the money, in, you know, in full view of the whole community, um, so yes, we want to make this contribution. We want to make this contribution to you all, but this isn't in any way um, because of, of, of you know, who you are and what you represent in terms of status. It's who you represent in terms of your commitment to community. We know that by giving you the money, it will reach the most needy people within the community. Well, you made the comment too. He, he uh, when we were next to one of the most beautiful waterfalls in Africa, he was uh, drinking. They have these little plastic containers of water, and he drank two plastic containers of water, and then just threw the containers in the waterfall. <laughs> the commissioner for that area, and, and we just all stared at each other. Well, and then you know we we set up a little garbage bag so that you know as we were eating our picnic, we put all the you know the plates and stuff in the garbage bag, um, and he insisted that we left it there, which I refused to do. So I picked it up and he kind of said, no, you know, leave it there. We've got people who will take care of that. I've spoken to these boys, they're going to deal with it. And so I was convinced that it was OK to leave it. <laughs> so as we were walking down the path, one of the boys threw it over, <laughs> over the hedge. You know. yeah. um, so that was a big bag well, that, of plastic. That's what I mean. I mean, there's, we've had a lot of amazing connections and stories, but there is this up and down. Suddenly we'll have a moment like that or... Um, you'll just think, wow, these are the, just the most warm, loving people on earth, and then you'll just hear a horrendous story of rape or murder of someone or 
families that are wiped out from Ebola or schools that aren't working, and it just drags you down emotionally. So you go through these huge highs and lows. I just wonder how you deal with that. Because you, you, to your credit, you never stop smiling. You're always positive. You love everybody. You make an effort to shake hands with every single person and introduce everyone that you meet in Liberia. And I'm just in awe of your constant level of enthusiasm, which you said is, that's brought out of you when you're here. Yeah, I, I guess that's, that's the... I'm coming from the energy that I'm feeling. Um, you know, I feel inspired by people's resilience. You know, we've gone into villages where Ebola devastated the entire, the entire village. And yet they found a way of beating it on their own. You know, th- this is a very, you know, it's a very difficult... I mean, if, if, if Ebola hit the UK, it would be contained down to a dozen cases. You know, in, in, um, in Liberia, where a lot of large towns, or, you know, the, the larger towns don't even have phone masks, so you can't even call them. So the only way you could take a message to a, a group of people would be to drive there. You know, it's a very difficult... Environment. It's still incredibly impoverished and very um, badly affected from the legacy of the war in terms of its infrastructure. Um, but it's the, it's the resilient. The, the people keep smiling. They complain about the corruption in the in the government. They're, they've got a, a big election coming up this year, and there will be a lot of upheaval through that election. I know there will. It's not going to be a good. It's not a good time to come back to Liberia until that's finished. I don't think because there's a lot of passion and, and, and unpredictability. Um, and Mickey was wonderful. I just you know she. I, I noticed that she had a, one of her fingernails was black, and I asked her about that, and she said that she just registered to vote for the first time. And what they do is they they dip the registrant's finger in, in ink. So they can't go and register again. I thought it was a beautifully simple system. <laughs> Might help in the states next time. Um, and uh, I asked her. So and she was so sort of proud of the fact that she was now old enough to vote. And I said, "So who are you going to vote for?" And she said, "Oh no, I'm not voting. You know, I don't like the corruption." So yeah, that was a really wonderful moment. So you know, people dis- have a distrust of um, the, I guess, the, the leadership of the country. It there seems to be a huge. Uh, disconnection between the leadership of the country and the leadership of the communities um, and that you know that's I guess that when I come to Liberia my intention is not to try and change at that level I don't go and engage with the president and stuff other people can do that and they are doing it but for me to go into an area of people who need education and find a way of providing them with a school that we've completely bypassed all of that corruption and, and negativity and you're just connecting with the people who, who just fill me with a sense of, of joy and, and admiration for their, for their resilience and their desire to make a better life for themselves. There's one of the guys we met that runs one of the more sustainable schools in Liberia. He made a good point. You said, are you in touch with anyone from the Ministry of Education? Do they fund you? And he said, no, I make a point not to align myself with anyone politically because if you do that, then you've got funding and then the minute that person leaves the ministry, you might lose that funding as they align themselves with somebody else. So if you rely on the government, which I guess is the same in any country, but especially here it means zero dollars if someone doesn't align with Mm. you. And it was really a great point that you raised because yesterday in the town hall meeting when we were talking about sustainability of the school, one of the things that they said, one of their plans for sustainability was to get the government, 
who are committed legally to provide education for the people of Liberia, they were going to you know, connect with the government and, and, and obtain that funding. That, to me, is not a sustainable plan. That would be a wonderful kind of bonus, an additional thing if it ever came through. But as you said, you know, when, when we met the, the French lady who had built the school, you know, she'd, they'd made a similar promise to her and the school standing empty. Um, so that wouldn't be in my sustainability plan. Um, yeah, I, I, and that, that's why the agricultural project and the, and the finding that perhaps the, the fee paying at a very low level um, is a much more sustainable model. Yeah, and I think he was talking about any extra money that comes in from the ministry or from donations gets tucked away for new infrastructure. Mm. But the day-to-day running of the school, the salaries for the teachers comes from the people yeah. paying the school yeah. fees, yeah. which I like. Mm. The other challenge, yesterday I just felt, because it's overwhelming being around by this much poverty and people that have no water and are eating one meal a day. It's overwhelming, and you can, for four or five days, you can block that and you can come back to your hotel and we can talk and we can detox. But by the time it got to eight, nine, ten days yesterday, I, I couldn't, <laughs> you just can't keep shutting it out. And it came to the point when we, the community wanted us to all eat lunch together and we opened our lunch and started eating it and then there's 100, 200 hungry eyes staring at you as you tuck into a meal and that was horrendous for me that was really horrendous for me and uh, after about three bites of my food I couldn't eat it there was something physically inside me that just I could not, I can't eat food in front of hungry people I don't need it, clearly and it was funny because we were all sitting in different parts um, of this community hut and everybody felt the same way and as I started looking around the food was being shared around, people had a few bites of it and then Valerie, this beautiful Argentinian woman that's travelling with us who has the biggest heart in the world and just loves everybody took charge of distributing food to all these hungry children which was a lovely moment for me, it was a, a drop in the bucket of what needs to happen but to see her do that that was really amazing and that was that was a, a shift for me and just like Mickey said we have people that get their fat sucked out of their bodies because they eat too much and I said to you you know the thought of going home and just continuing to overeat at every meal just feels disgusting to me uh, you know that, that that feeling of all those hungry eyes staring at me will stay with me for a long time um yeah. So I know you're doing the questioning. <laughs> but there is a question I'd love to ask. Sure. Perhaps this isn't the right place to ask it, but the question I think is there to be asked is you said I could block it out for four or five days, but after that you know, it gets really tiring to keep it out. And my curiosity is why, about why you want to block it out. Yeah, I think it's you touched on something with me earlier the week. We had a pretty deep conversation about connection. And I find... Um, connecting with a lot of people I have a lot of friends and family just all over the world and I find it very exhausting and I find that um, sometimes that connection ends up ends up in a lot of disappointment by having so many people connected you end up not being able to stay connected in the way you want to so there's a lot of disappointment so I feel like over the last few years I've closed myself off to that connection a lot to try and protect myself from disappointing other people which is protecting myself it's a feeling that I don't want to feel um, that feeling of disappointment so I think just in a way cutting off from feeling to avoid 
the hurt and the pain um, is what it is fundamentally but when you're around this every day you you just can't keep turning off for it and it just really affected me yesterday mm. um, when you're drinking it we, we have bottled water we take it for granted I was drinking a bottle of water because it's 33 degrees and we're standing in the heat and it's <laughs> incredibly dehydrating people are staring at your bottle of water in your hand salivating like little kids that who knows when they, they last drunk water they don't come and grab it they don't try and steal it but when you're standing there they're not staring at you they're staring at your bottle of water it's heartbreaking and what a gift to sit with that to feel that emotion you know if, if you think that that connection always comes with expectation and you're fearful that you can't fulfill that expectation then you avoid the connection so what about just connecting without the expectation I was speaking to somebody yesterday and you know often people in Liberia will come up and ask you to help them in some way and what this person says is she no longer gives them a dollar or whatever if, if they're asking for money I don't want to give the impression it's like India where you just get swamped with people but it does happen you know, people will ask if you can help help them she said to the, she says to them no I can't give you any money right now but I can pray with you and I think that's just really beautiful because it's it's taking the time to connect it's taking the time to hear the person and value that person but it doesn't actually re- re- require it's not that it's it's not it's not reinforcing that relationship again of you know the have and the have not the parent mm. and the child it's again it's equalizing and so you know the, the invitation is that when you're feeling that sense of that person looking at your bottle of water is to think well what how can i connect with that person's need how can i if you like how can i validate that person's experience right now so at least they they feel seen heard and they feel that human connection because you can't give a hundred dollars to everybody you see as you walk down the street and I've had that feeling that I just you know if I had unlimited amounts of money just walk down the street giving everybody you saw a hundred dollars because that would alleviate their suffering for you know a month but you can't do that but you can't but you also can't just ignore that that's what's happening around you so There's my the conflict. Way, so yeah, with my way Constantly. of dealing with that conflict is to, I guess, to embrace it, to bring it into my heart, to try and transmute that energy. Because if I keep it away, shut it out, it, one, it doesn't do me any good, but it also doesn't ever transform. So I try to stay open to it. Um, and what I mean by you know, staying open to it is to feel it, to feel that physical, emotional response to it but continue to hold a container for that suffering because because to me that that's the way that we change the energy of what's happening here mm. does that I don't know if that makes sense yeah that sense makes sense and I think like that that's what I felt in the last few days was that ability to connect without expectation to me connection comes with a fear of disappointment mm. whereas seeing that actually connection can be instant you can have a lot of fun with a whole bunch of people make a difference connect with them share food share water play make them smile <laughs> and then leave without any expectation or 
Yeah, I mean, or anything. You know, is it enough to make one child smile a day? Yes. Is, is that enough of a contribution? Yeah. Mm. I think that's what Valerie taught me, this beautiful woman with me this too. huge heart. Me too. Yeah, who just walks around and just wants to put a smile on every kid's face, number one. she, She's a therapist in Argentina, and she's been working there almost 30 years as a therapist. And she recognises in the children through a therapist's eyes just the lack of love and connection that they feel. So her job became just to fill them with love and fill them with connection and touch them and tell them they're beautiful. You know, everyone she spoke to. Um, and that was wonderful. And I took that on. You know, I took that on as, a, as a, if like a commitment. Of to course, tell, you to see tell how beautiful it is to see her doing that. tell people how beautiful they yeah. are. It was wonderful, Simon. So I can't thank you enough for this experience. Because uh, as cliche as as it is, you know, I came here looking for adventure. And I think I even said to you the other day, I came here to feel something. And boy, have I felt something. How can people support you? I wasn't really prepared for that question. But how people can support me is... I want to make it clear. Have a think about it. Um, There's no expectation, I don't think. (laughs) <laughs> from this podcast or from this trip, sure. you've made it clear that there's no expectation of um, having to support Liberia or come to Liberia. Um, one, you've wanted to share Liberia's story, so the people that have listened to this have got a, an insight into a country that they may never heard anything about. They may feel something, maybe they'll change the way they view Africa or the way they interact with people. But for a few people, they might feel that you're the man for the job and they'd like to contribute a dollar, ten dollars. to your school Mm. uh, or to I mean there's a hundred people that want you to start projects here, everyone you meet wants you to build a school so I'm sure this will go from strength to strength but if we just look at say the school project how would you like to be supported? Well the school project is going to cost around $100,000 and I have a dream that (laughs) It's a Martin Luther King moment Um well, I have a desire, let's say, that, that I'm not going to raise that money $5 at a time because I don't have the energy, I don't have the... I just don't have the network of people who are going to... And I don't really... That's not how I want... I, that's not how I envisage this happening. What I'd love is to raise that in a few, let's say, sizable don- donations. So if people listening know somebody who believes in education, would love to experience what it would be like to change the lives of people and we use that expression a lot don't we as coaches we change lives but I'm not talking about you know, somebody's life going from good to great I'm talking about somebody's life becoming sustainable talking about somebody's life becoming more joyful and I'm talking about about the ripple effect not just to the community uh, or to the county but to the country that's the level of impact that I envisage for this project so if you know somebody who has got you know, access to good money, I'd absolutely love that level of contribution. But more than that, and I said this to all of the all of the team as they came out, that I've got no expectations of what people would take away from this. You know, I've got I was no, there was no intention that people would become committed to their own projects in Liberia. Um, it's happened. I think Valerie's going to be working here for the next six months, which is just wonderful. She had a meeting yesterday with the Minister of uh, Ministry of Health. And that was completely unseen, you know, 10 days ago. And that's what I love about being in this country is that, that things can just happen, you know, in an instant. But I'd really just to love, love to offer the opportunity to people to come here on a leadership development programme 
and have the experiences that you've had, that I've had and the other people in the team, where you begin to, to understand leadership in a completely different way, begin to understand connection in a different way, begin to understand impact in a different way. And I'd love to, in, to just offer, you know, if people feel inspired, then just contact me on my website, and I'm sure you can give them the, the, the address. And I'd love to, to bring here, bring people here, rather than just, just to be about, you know, being a, a, like a channel for financial contribution. Come here. Come here and experience that wonderful exchange. What I bring and I give and what I receive is, is unique, absolutely unique. So that, that would be the most wonderful outcome. Beautiful. And some of the details about what you do on the trip, uh, as well as just coming to Liberia, how does it look day to day, some of the little little touches that you've put on it? So what, what's been wonderful is each day we have this wonderful itinerary of going out and, and meeting different people and running different events in, in completely different scenarios. We've, we've, won, we've run workshops with NGOs in a hotel. We ran, um, we ran an event that you actually led, which is wonderful. Um, under a palapa by the beach with the More Than Me Academy and that was really about team building and we've gone into um, villages where we've made cookies and cornbread with a group of women as a part of an empowerment programme. So each day there's a, there's a really wonderful opportunity to experience something, something new and what I do is I ask one of the team members to step up as the leader for each day and that's just great. And I know you had this experience. It's like, you know, what the fuck? You know, what am I being asked to do? And then knowing that you've got the support of the team and just finding that inner resource to grow and to find a way of making a success of the day. And I love that. And then at the end of every day, there's the opportunity to sit down, um, to debrief as a group, often for an hour, an hour and a half. And some of the deep, deep insights that come out of that out of those conversations are priceless and they'll also continue I think to emerge you know as you return back to, to your normal life those little moments are going to start popping at different times and, and that's that's just a wonderful thing um, I started also sending emails didn't I, in the evenings so that people would receive some acknowledgements and praise um, I'd, I'd spot something that I'd seen in them each day and perhaps ask a question to leave them with as they went as they went to bed to reflect on um, so my, my focus, the emphasis of what we're doing here is to provide people with an experience but also a container. So we made agreements about how we would, how we would interact. We made agreements about how we wanted to deal with conflict within our own group, which, which thankfully never emerged. But you know, it was really import, important to create that container because for me the people who come on this experience are going on a leadership journey and my role in that is to is to support and guide and to coach when necessary. So I've sat down and had one-to-one -one conversations with each, you, each of you at different times um, to help you process some of the challenges and also really, to, again, to, to draw out those deep learnings and those lessons from these experiences. Um, but, you know, maybe you could just say a couple of words of, 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 for you, what that, what those kind of, if you like, those coordinates have been like in creating this experience for you. Yeah, absolutely, because I, I had no idea coming in what, what the experience was going to be like, so I had no expectations. But uh, each day to be thrust into these different environments, there was one-on-one -on -one coaching with some leaders on the first day, and then you, <laughs> I had to run you know, a, a, a training day for uh, 
10 or 15 people from an organization which is something I hadn't done that much of which was an incredible leadership experience and just filled me with confidence and you, you know to job. Yeah, yeah to receive praise from the time woman of the year on my uh, coaching that was amazing so that was an opportunity and then to have that uh, personal debrief with you you know which was probably four or five hours over the time of this trip just one-on-one you and I just talking and you have an amazing ability to ask questions and draw things out and to work with the other group to process the emotions and things that are coming up for me uh, trying to deal with connection as I've, I've already spoken about was a big thing and so yeah I can't thank you enough as it's a life-changing experience and so I, I hope you run these again it sounds like you're going to keep doing this so I really hope if anyone's interested they'll they'll go to your website and look that up what's your website it's www.simoncrow with an e dot com dot com and your email address if people want to reach out to you regarding the school or this trip yeah mail m-a-i-l at simoncrow.com beautiful I'll put that in the show notes I'll also link to your Facebook pages and you can see a whole bunch of the pictures of this trip and thank you Simon Thank you from all of us on this trip. Thank you on behalf of, I think, the people of Liberia because you're an incredibly inspiring person and just being in your presence has grown me a huge amount and you certainly model leadership like no one else I've met. So thank you. That's that's really wonderful to hear. And I've had such a, a pleasure experiencing this week with you and seeing your own personal growth and getting to know you as a human being and I deeply love you and so thank you for for sharing this experience with me. Great, I appreciate it. Thank you Simon. So thanks guys, thanks for listening in. A little bit of a different show coming live from uh, Liberia. I'll be back in Japan next week. Uh, So thanks for listening. Share this around. This is a really cool episode to share with people on Facebook or uh, email or Twitter, wherever you like to do that and just give people an insight to this beautiful country. And I'll be back next week with episode number 10 for the Nathan Seward Show. That was the Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.